0: Greetings, Rebel fans. My name is Jason Kelly, and this is the Let's Run podcast. Today on the show, we are breaking down UNLV's disastrous trip to Daytona, Florida at the Sunshine Slam. Uh, I have on my friend, once again, Kevin Paul. He is a lifelong friend and Rebel fanatic. And we're going to be discussing uh, you know, the future of UNLV basketball, coaching changes. Uh, we got lots on the table today. So without any further ado, let's just get into it. All uh, right, Rebel fans, I am uh, happy to be joined by my friend and Rebel fanatic, Kevin Paul. Kevin, thanks for being on the show this week.
1: Thanks. Happy Thanksgiving.
0: Yeah, well, you know, it's a happy Thanksgiving, a good time to spend with family and friends. I'm not happy if I'm on uh, the basketball team because apparently Kevin Kruger ran like a double practice today. Um, <laughs> I heard that on uh, Twitter. Which oh, is, man. I know. That's not a fun way to spend your Thanksgiving. But
1: I'm I'm thankful for Barry Odom, though.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the good years of UNLV basketball that we've had. And I'm thankful for Barry Odom providing the first meaningful uh, athletic event at UNLV in 10 years, Um, (laughs) which is pretty sad. All right. So we're going to be recapping uh, UNLV men's basketball's trick to the Sunshine Slam in Daytona, Florida. Uh, that was certainly a house of horrors for the rebels. Uh, coming into the tournament, I kind of saw the tournament as uh, really we, were, you know, the place we are going to be able to tell if the rebels were as bad as that opening loss to Southern uh, dictated that they were. Right before um, the tournament, you know, the rebels went to Pepperdine, and they got a pretty good win there. I mean, Pepperdine's Pepperdine's not a great team by any means, but they're fine. Um, It was an away game and the Rebels dominated. So I was kind of feeling hopeful, you know, maybe we can go. We could beat Florida State and Richmond or Colorado even. Uh, And it was not to be. The Rebels in their first game against Florida State uh, got absolutely destroyed on (laughs) the defensive end of the ball. Uh, Florida State shot over 60% from three and from two. Uh, the Rebels couldn't contain anybody off the dribble. Uh, the Florida State press was causing issues for the UNLV offense, uh, which is something that we had seen in the first game of the season against Southern. And, you know, Florida State's not a great team, but, you know, they went on to upset Colorado State, or Colorado, not Colorado State, um, the next night. And so the lost to Florida State. While it sucked, you know, it wasn't crazy, wasn't anything terrible, Uh, The next night, however, they once again gave up over 60% from the field to Richmond University uh, in a terrible 82-65 to loss. Uh, Kevin, the team looks fundamentally broken right now. What what, what are your feelings towards that tournament that the Rebels just played in?
1: I mean, we all know that the offense is going to struggle under Kruger, but the really tough part is that the offense is kind of the bright spot on the team right now. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, when you have a guy that's supposed to be, you know, preaching this defense first mentality, and then you give up over 80 points a game in both of those games, it's not a good look. I mean, we we kind of broke down a few of the things with, you know, the pick and roll defense. I said this the last time I was on this podcast. It's bad. And it was, I mean, it, it was terrible to watch the pick and roll defense and we're slow on the perimeter defense as well, uh, we look lazy on and off the ball in our defensive assignments, and I don't think we have the athletes really to keep up with people that are good in the, in the dribble drive, and we just can't keep up with them. Uh, we're liable for um, pull-up jump shots off the dribble. Yeah. Uh, a lot of kick, and kick, and we, we, don't, we don't do well guarding the three out there as well either. It's, yeah. uh, it's pretty tough to watch.
0: The, the lack of athleticism is something that I'm really picking up on as I'm watching it. You know, Jalen Jelly Donuts Hill, uh, that's a little mean, but he's been really <laughs> slow. Like, he's been so slow on the perimeter. Uh, you know, he's a five-year senior. He played started for four years at the University of Oklahoma and was considered a very good defensive player in the Big 12. Which is unequivocally the best defensive, you know, the best conference of college basketball. And he comes to unLV and he, it's just been an absolute struggle. He can't stay in front of guys from Southern. <laughs> That's a big problem. The Richmond guys are cooking Jalen Hill off the dribble. And the other thing that I'm noticing is Luis Rodriguez. you know he was he was a pretty good defender last year, um at least to start the year. And he battled with some injuries later on in the year that definitely, hindered his ability to keep guys in front of him but Luis Rodriguez not only is he fundamentally broken on offense I don't think he knows how to score I don't think he has any idea when he has the ball how to be an effective scorer uh but on defense he just seems to be he seems to lack focus and then when you have DJ thomas who's a six one 170 pound 17 year old you know he's competing but he's too small and Justin Webster who is fine, but let's not act like he's some defensive stalwart. Our team cannot contain the dribble. And if you can't contain the dribble in college basketball, you're dead. There's nothing you can do. Your team's going to be terrible.
1: Another problem is, you know, you put Jackie Johnson out there because he seems to be the only guy with a perimeter shot right now, but an absolute liability on defense. And a lot of it's not his fault because of how small he is. Yeah. He's like six foot tall on a good day. If 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 Justin Webster could actually hit threes like he was supposed to, his problem too is that he only seems like he wants to play offense. I mean, he's really checked out on defense. There were a couple. There was one time in particular at the Richmond game where he gave up a stupid foul under the rim. I mean, I think one of the Richmond guys had gotten an offensive rebound, or it was just a good pass to him, and Webster just came in and kind of nonchalantly hit him on the wrist. And it was an easy and one basket for him. And, and Webster, it just looked like he didn't even care. And yeah. that's hard to watch. And I, and I know it's frustrating when your shot's not going in. Um, but it, it, it's, it's, it's unacceptable. It's inexcusable. I mean, and it's looking terrible for this team.
0: Well, the whole team just looks, like I said, I've said this a couple of times now, but they look fundamentally broken. They look like they have no confidence in anything that they're doing. And, you know, that's an indictment on the coach. And I, I, would, I would bet that Kevin Kruger would have no problem admitting that. That it's an indictment on his ability to prepare the team for the games that they're playing. But when you go down and you look this bad, I mean terrible, in an early season tournament, there's just not going to be a lot of faith in the team going forward. Uh, I, how many people do you expect to be at the Akron game at home next Tuesday? 15? Maybe the players' moms. I mean, who's going to go to this game? If they, if, if, if people aren't going to have any confidence, they're going to win. And after that performance in Florida, I don't blame people for not having any faith in this team at all anymore.
1: It's, it's, it's difficult. Uh, another thing to point out, in, in the three losses that the Rebels have had this year, they've given up over 80 points. Mm-hmm. Um, in the two wins we've given up less than 70 points in bowl. And offensively, we're still kind of checking in right around the same. I mean, we had the, you know, our win against Pepperdine was scored over 80, but usually we're hovering hovering around 70 points. I mean, so you know what you're going to get offensively out of the team? It's the defense that's just been, it's hard to tell, you know, night in, night out, what's going to happen. Are we going to get you know, a locked-in defense that understands their assignments and is ready to, to follow that? Or, you know, are we going yeah. to get just this convoluted mess again, like we've seen in the three losses? It, it's really hard to tell. They're really erratic on defense.
0: Well, and part of the other problem that I've seen is, um, obviously, we went over the uh, perimeter defense, you know, with Justin Webster, Jackie Johnson. We're not a good perimeter team. And really, that's Jalen Hill. I mean, Jalen Hill was brought in to be an elite perimeter defender. Luis Rodriguez at points last year showed potential to be an elite perimeter defender. But the bigger problem is we don't have anybody to protect the rim. You know, we're playing Caleb Boone, who is actually pretty good. Like, I don't think Caleb Boone has been bad or anything. But he, we're playing him at center. He's a six-nine power forward. And then our other option at center is Isaiah Cottrell, and he's a 6'11 small forward. He doesn't play like a center. He doesn't, he doesn't have, I don't think he can protect the rim no. whatsoever. And so we just essentially have, like this team is begging, and I never thought I'd say this. This team is begging for like, you know, Chekna Dembele or Mbake Dion or anybody that is a pure center that can defend the rim. We don't have any way to keep people once they get to the rim from scoring. And that's just a massive problem, especially if your team already sucks at containing dribble drive.
1: It, it, it's interesting to feel like you're actually missing someone like Mbaka Jong. I I really liked um, David Mwaka, you know. And, I did and too. He was a good actor. We're really feeling his absence now. And y- you're right. I mean, Caleb Buna, I think he's great, and you know, unfortunately, he's our leading scorer now in terms of points per game. But yeah. defensively, what, what do you expect? And and Isaiah Cottrell, he he's not an interior defender. He's not he can't defend on the perimeter either. He's just a big yeah. man that shoots threes. And luckily he hits some of them because everybody else on the team can't. But yeah. and it, he is it, he's a real he's liability on defense.
0: He's not a fifth year senior, you know, like like Caleb Boone is, to be fair to him. You know, he's a sophomore, and this is his first year of ever really playing college basketball. So right. I'm not expecting him to be perfect, but the fact that Carl Jones can't play because he because he is a true center. I mean, he's he's a big guy. The fact that he can't even sniff the court um, is 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 a, is a big issue. And I would suggest to Coach Kruger maybe trying in a zone because I don't think that DJ is big enough. You could hide DJ on the wing in a zone. Um, you could put in a guy like Carl Jones. He wouldn't have to cover as much space. And sure, the defense may not be great, but if you can hold people, I think this offense is capable of scoring 70 to 75 points a game. If you could hold people to under 70 points, you could have something here.
1: You could. And, And another problem is our bigs are getting exposed by poor perimeter defense. I mean, obviously this all goes hand in hand. And you're, the bigs are getting exposed in in by the you know poor guard perimeter defense on our team. I mean, players like Rob Whaley and Jalen Hill, you know, they're bigger built guys, and I think they're going to defend fine against bruisers. But when you're going to get up against these kind of more slender, fast, you know, more like quick players, these perimeter guards, they're just going to get cooked, and they have. And then our big men, they have to come up. And help. And then the back door is open for a lob, which has happened multiple times in these losses against Florida State, against Stetson. Uh, no, I'm sorry, against Southern, not Stetson. And um, against Richmond.
0: Yeah, and last year, you know, Kevin Krueger had a simple solution to this. He was just switching on every single screen. He said, we're going to simplify the defense and we're all just going to defend our butts off. But the problem is... uh. Last year, obviously, you know, our big men couldn't contain the dribble, which of course they can't contain the dribble. David Milaka is not going to be able to keep up with Mountain West guards. But this year, it seems like Kruger has no consistent manner of defending the pick and roll. Either it's a hedge. Sometimes they're icing the ball screen. They are switching sometimes. All you have to do to score against this rebel team is run a high ball screen with, you know, a point guard in the center and then bring Caleb Boone up to the top of the key. Because the person who's going to be helping on the dive is going to be somebody like DJ Thomas, who's 6'1". And so the team's defensive strategy is fundamentally broken. I keep saying that, but it's true. And I think that Kruger is going to have to switch something up on the defensive end, make a major change. And hopefully he's workshopping something like that um, right now
1: in this week that they have off. Yeah, I agree. What, What do you think about the offense?
0: oh you know uh our vaunted offense is our number one you know <laughs> is way better than yeah. our defense and i think it's terrible I, I i can't stand our offense at least it's somewhat a fit you know it's not a complete disaster it's a disaster but it's not a complete disaster um you know our defense is ranked 223rd in the country right now our offense is ranked 68th at the moment which isn't terrible it's not great for a mountain west team uh that figures only better than three or four mountain west teams i think that's better than san jose and that's better than air force but nobody else in the mountain west and that just tells you how good the mountain west is this year um but our offense is primarily built on the post up um which is not something that i really wanted to see an offense in modern basketball be built off of But if it's what you can do, it's what you can do. Jalen Hill, Caleb Boone, Rob Whaley, to some extent, even Isaiah Cottrell has flashed a little bit of uh, potential in showing that they can score efficiently off the post-up. The problem is, and you saw this in the Richmond game, um, Richmond saw that we were going to post up a ton, and they were just sending a double team every single time. They were trying to get the ball out of our post players' hands. UNLV was passing out of that double team To the three-point line, where we were getting mostly wide-open looks. Right now, UNLV is shooting a paltry thirty percent from the line, from the three-point line as a team, which ranks for two hundred seventeenth in the country. If our guys can't hit open threes off of passes out of the post, we're not going to be able to score.
1: Like that's just it's. We're not going to be able to compete in the Mountain West. When when Jackie Johnson, I mean, if it wasn't for him. I mean, I mean, this the, the scores in this in the Sunshine Slam would have looked so much worse. I and one big problem too, and and I mentioned this last time I was on as well. Um, Luis Rodriguez and Justin Webster just been terrible on offense, and you know, obviously the shots aren't going in, but it's the shot selection that is just awful, and. Yeah. You know, you told me this where Coach Kruger said he wants Luis Rodriguez taking, what, six threes a game? I mean... Five or six, yeah. So I looked it up. He's hitting one of five on average in each game. He's shooting 19% from three. Um, Over the last four years, including this year right now, his shooting percentage from behind the three-point line has gone down every single year. From his time at Ole Miss until now and Justin Webster the the problem was that he had a great year last year shooting 46 percent from three but that was kind of an a a one-off year his first year at UNLV he shot 32 percent and this year he's shooting 23 percent and it's they're not good shots I mean a lot of times they're really rushed in the shot clock when no one's down there to be able to get a an offensive rebound or even try to get an offensive rebound they're just bad shots and they're not going in, but then they continue to shoot it um when you know it's not going there in there. And and Luis Rodriguez, luckily, he's been able to drive in. he's effective on the drive. He just doesn't do it enough because he prefers to shoot the three.
0: Yeah. And I'm hoping that Coach Kruger sees that in film. Obviously, he will. I mean, I, I may not like Coach Kruger as a basketball coach. As a person, I really respect him and love his family. But I do think he's smart enough to see. Luis Rodriguez, you know, YOLOing fadeaway threes and trying to bank them, you know, that's not going to lead for an efficient offense, you know, it's just not going to work. And so something that I would say for, for rebel fans out here, you know, that, that still love UNLV basketball as much as, as much as Kevin and I do, it cannot get any worse than this. Like, obviously we could go on a crazy big losing streak, but if, you know, if we start losing game after game after game, like this, this is kind of rock bottom here. It feels like we're not going to be able to beat teams like Akron, like Dayton, like Loyola Maramount. And I wrote about this in my article on my Substack. you know, the stakes are kind of clear now. Crew has got to be better than this. I, I, I don't know if he has to, you know, make a sweet 16, but he certainly cannot do this as the head coach, especially when you have a senior laden team that you spent a fair amount of NIL money on to, to get here. And, you know, Re- Rebel fans, we can do better. And I think we will do better. And I kind of want to go over uh, what the roadmap would look like um, for UNLV turning it around. So in my Substack article, article, I will just bear with me for one moment. Um, I wrote out three scenarios that I thought were possible for this basketball team. The first scenario was essentially the best case scenario the, the the scenario where this early season we look back on it and we see it as a bad dream um the rebels end up winning a fair amount of games and end up over 500 in the non-conference guys like Shane Noel who I think could really 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 help this team and Keelan Boone who would really help this team because he's a six-eight shooting guard with good shot making that that would be unbelievable for this team um, those guys come back, the Rebels turn it around, and we end up vying for an NIT bid. The most likely scenario that I came up with, um, actually, first, before we say that, Kevin, what in order for that to happen, the Rebels competing for, you know, winning 18 to 20 games, this feeling like a, this early season feeling like a nightmare, what do you think would have to happen for the best-case scenario to play out?
1: For the best-case scenario, I, I mean, first off, Shane Noel, I, I think I agree with you. He could do wonders for this team. Uh, Keelan Boone agreed. You know, if he gets that waiver in, that would be wonderful. Cause I mean, we need better guard play. I mean, we need better play all around, but better guard play. It's not going to hurt. And especially if we can start making some perimeter shots. And I think Sh- Shane Noel is, uh, is a good perimeter defender, which is something that we need right now to keep up with quicker guards. Uh, for the team as a whole, you've got to clamp down on defense, play better defense, better shot selection. Um, we get into early holes. I mean, against Richmond, we were down 17 to four at one point. We, we can't be in these early holes. We gotta, we gotta come out better because we're playing from behind the entire, I mean, we didn't even compete. Uh, you know, we, we didn't even get close to taking the lead against Richmond. We were consistently playing from behind by at least 10 points the entire game. So that can't happen. It it needs to be a better start. And I've seen a couple of comments from people in in different articles, like in the review journal saying, you know, maybe it's just because this is a brand new team again, like every year it seems with UNLV and maybe it just takes a second. And I really hope that's the case and we could string together some wins um maybe they just haven't found the right chemistry just yet and the coaching has got to get better um coaching has to get better with adapting in each game and better preparation coming out also one of my pet peeves that, that needs to needs to be a little bit better is uh our response to when we get put on the full court press it's just been awful oh to watch gosh, but yeah. i i won't even get into it but anyway i, I I think those are a couple of the things that we really need to have happen in order to put together, you know, a best case scenario streak.
0: Yeah. And this is one piece of hope that I would give to Rebel fans. Our best player is a 17 year old freshman. You know, it's not like years past where we had Bryce Hamilton and EJ Harkless, who were fifth year seniors or fourth year seniors. Our best player is very young. Um, and he has room to grow and he has more years of eligibility to play and so obviously I unless he transfers of course which is always going to be a problem and and a danger but um, there is a scenario where we turn this around I wouldn't say it's likely but it's possible and if Kruger is ever going to be a successful coach I'm not saying he has to get to 20 win. I'm not saying he has to win the Mountain West but if you are one of those people that believe that Kevin Kruger can be the guy, he has to show something this year and bring this team together. He has to show you a sign that he can do it and not look like a scared puppy, you know, waiting for Bryce Hamilton to bring him his bottle and save him. Cause that's what he looks like on the sideline right now. He looks like he's begging for somebody to come and save his team for him. And that's just not gonna happen. And I, f- I feel for him because I like him. You know, he's a UNLV legend. And his father is definitely a UNLV legend, but in order for th- if he's going to be the guy, he's going to have to show you
1: something this year. Do You think that's fair? It it has to happen. I mean, it, it it he's in a tough spot, but the problem is that a lot of this roster construction is his, and yeah, um, it, it's got to show up on the court.
0: Exactly. So when we hired Kevin Kruger, you know he came in and he was he said, we are going to be a different a defense first team. We're not going to focus on the offensive end we're gonna his his strategy, or at least what he said in the press conferences is that he wanted to build a program like San Diego State, a program that scores 60, 70 points a game, but is a clamp down defensive team. His first year, the rebels finished ranked. 97th on defense that's not going to cut it in order to be a defensive first team in the country you have to finish top 30 in defense his second year you know where we had the vaunted switching defense he finished 79th not going to cut it and if you look at his offense you know his first year we finished actually our offense was better because bryce hamilton was just an unbelievable shot creator his first year uh, it was 87th his first year um And last year, his, his offense was 136. That team was brutal to watch because we were just essentially throwing the ball to EJ Harkless and praying. And then, uh, this year, his defense is terrible. So Kevin Kruger has told us what his strategy is and he has failed at executing that strategy to this point, three years in a row. So something's got to change. And so what I wanted to do was obviously there are people calling for his job. Um, people saying Kevin Kruger deserves to be fired. And I wanted to, you know, do a, do kind of like a role play where I am going to be defending Kevin Kruger saying that no matter what happens this year, we shouldn't fire him, you know, to a certain extent. Obviously, if the Rebels go three and, three and 27, we're going to fire him. But say the Rebels finish around 500, um, then, you know, I would be advocating for us not to fire him. And Kevin, my friend, is going to uh, play the angry UNLV fan, which actually I think both of us kind of are. Uh, but uh, I am in law school, so I do know how to argue things that I uh, uh, don't totally believe in. And so Kevin, what is your opening argument, your belief that uh, Kevin Krueger uh, should be fired at the end of this year? Because I don't think either of us would support firing him mid-season.
1: I, I agree that I don't support firing him mid season. If if I were to be advocating for um letting him go at the end of the season, my, my first argument would be does this program feel like it has improved in any way different to TJ Otzelberger or Marvin Menzies in the last, you know, five, six years? Hmm. No. It feels pretty similar, honestly. H- has has the team performed any better in, in those years between Marvin Menzies, TJ Otzelberger, and, and Kevin Kruger? No, we've been about the same. And, and last, have we accomplished what we want to accomplish in making uh, a run in the Mountain West or making... An NCAA berth or even an NIT berth? No, we've never even been close. And my biggest problem with that is that these rosters that Kruger has come up with, they've been designed to supposedly win now by going after grad transfers that have experience. And some of them experience in the tournament and know what it takes to get there. And it just hasn't happened. And it's not translating. And this year especially it seems like there's been some disconnect between um what he feels to be wrong and what the players feel to be wrong and that's a that's a big red flag that the communication's not there and it seems like this program is still in limbo after you know in his third year in charge yeah all
0: right so i'm going to argue um obviously that we should retain him now this you know, being a given that he finishes at least above 500. I don't think if he finishes under 500, there's any way that we retain him. Um, so the argument for keeping Kruger around is one of continuity. And it's also one of, if you look at ever since the rebels made that terrible decision to fire coach rice, midseason. Yeah, I I, maybe Coach Rice should have been fired at the end of the year. I actually wasn't. I was on my LVS mission at the time, so I wasn't watching the games uh, personally, uh, except on P days. You know, when I could sneak a YouTube clip in or two. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, But firing, ever since we fired Coach Rice mid-year, the program has just been a calamity. It has been a, a disaster with coach turnover year after year after year after year after year. Um, we only kept Marvin Menzies around for three years. Marvin Menzies improved each year. His teams were getting better. And then we decided to fire him and we hired a guy and TJ Otzelberger, who's maybe my least favorite person on planet earth, who was the wrong hire, who had no desire to stick around the UNLV. His wife never even moved to UNLV, moved, moved to Las Vegas, I should say. And it was a disaster. And then we hire Kevin Krueger and it just feels like we're in this tedious cycle where we are building upon failure upon failure upon failure and with each firing it's only making people more apathetic. Now giving Kruger more time, if you look at Lon's first 3 years, Kevin is about at the same record that Lon was his first 2 years. Um obviously this year in in Lon's third year he did make a run at the NCAA tournament, so you know you would expect him to be a little better this year. But, you know, coach Alford up in in Reno, that dreaded school in Reno, uh, Kevin Kruger, through his first two seasons is doing far better than coach Alford did his first two years. Uh, the difference being, you know, Steve Alford had had success in New Mexico and UCLA, whereas Kevin Kruger had been a mediocre assistant coach before we hired him. Um, and yeah, it, it, it's more about a statement of continuity. Kevin Kruger was a big reason why we got a guy like DJ Thomas, DJ Thomas if he stayed in, in the Mountain West for two or three years, could be the best player in the Mountain West Conference. I have no doubt about that. If we fire Coach Kruger, our chances of keeping him go down. We have a good recruiting class coming in full of young, promising freshmen. And Coach Kruger can really build something here. And while it would suck to, to take all this losing, um, continuity and roster, you know, constant ro- roster upheaval isn't going to feel any better either. And so that would be the basic argument for keeping Coach Kruger around. Um, He hasn't been a complete disaster as a coach. He hasn't been great, but he hasn't been a complete disaster as a coach. And maybe we should just give him five years and just see what happens. What do you think about that argument?
1: I I agree about the continuity. It's tough because I, I think he is in the wrong place at the wrong time where he's a brand new head coach. I mean, this is his first stint as a head coach and it's in a program that it's out of time with the fans and it's in a win now situation. And he's just, he's not a coach that's built for win now because he doesn't have that. Like players need experience to get better over the years. Coaches need experience to get better over the years as well. And he's just not in a place in this UNLV program that has those years. Um, And the problem is that year in and year out it you know we change coaches, but nothing else changes. And I agree that I'm very scared if if they let Kruger go that DJ Thomas would walk and other players like some of these incoming freshmen that we've got gotten as well. And um a pretty good looking recruiting class of freshmen coming in would decommit as well. Um and and I feel like with next year's team. I don't want to, you know, be talking about next year's team, but you look at it in a broader perspective, there's a lot of incoming underclassmen that we could build a long-term product off of. And I think Krueger is doing the right thing there. I think he's doing the right thing with going to, you know, local schools in Vegas to recruit, not just going out. And while this isn't working in the wind now, you know, get someone from the transfer portal. I think he's doing the right thing now with you know, getting underclassmen and um, you know freshmen coming in for his recruiting classes, but the problem is that it's just in a program where the the culture is that we're out of time and we need to win now, and it's just not happening.
0: Yeah, and and my my response to that would essentially be like, the fans are gone anyway. You know, like it's not like we're trying to save on. Ten years ago, in twenty thirteen, UNLV was ninth in the country in average attendance per game at over 13,000. We haven't cleared over six, 7, 6 or 7,000 per game since 2015. It's not like it can get any worse than it is right now in terms of fan apathy. People already don't care. So maybe giving somebody the time is the right call. But the problem is, the problem with that is Kruger has to be actually capable of building a program if you want to be patient. And I don't know based on his approach and his strategy that he has shown enough to prove that he is capable of even building a program. He has not had a good team. His teams have peaked early. His teams have relied on grad transfers and seniors. And next year, DJ Thomas may be a sophomore, but who is he going to get in the, in the transfer portal that can actually play often because he he can't, he can't, he's not succeeding in the transfer portal. He's not getting guys that are transforming our team. And so it, it's a tough, it's a tough balance. And I do think we need to see this entire year as kind of our last data point to make that decision going forward. I, I think the rest of this year and how the team responds will be dispositive in deciding whether we should keep him.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's good. Um, I, I like your comment earlier about you know firing Dave Rice. I think that was the end of UNLV basketball to this point, yeah. I think that, you know, that, that's where it all ended. Um, you know, fast forward to now, if you're a fan of Kruger as the coach, uh, one thing to be kind of nervous about is that athletic director, Eric Harper did not hire Kevin Kruger. No, And he will have no problem letting him go. I know Eric Harper understands, you know, the name that Kruger has, um, in the UNLV basketball community. But like you said. There's really not anybody left. I mean, there's only a few thousand fans that are loyal that still show up to the games. And, yeah. you know, he's not going to upset many more people if he lets him go. But well, like weird. you said, I mean, there's not many people left. Why not give him a, a little bit more time? And and I feel like if he could get, um, you know, one more year with, you know, a good incoming recruiting class, I, I think that could do wonders for the team. But who knows? It may just not be enough time.
0: I I'm okay with that as long as this team that he has built this year what is is full of seniors and is full of guys with a ton of experience shows some fight if right. we go and we crumble for the rest of the year and we and our team looks like crap then I have no interest in bringing this guy back now if he if, if he can turn this team around and, sh- and give us some faith as diehards that he could possibly be the one to lead the program then I'm okay with bringing him back But I do ultimately trust our athletic director. If you look at what he did, a lot of these same arguments that I'm making for keeping Kevin Kruger, you could make these exact same arguments about Marcus Arroyo last year. Arroyo was building up. They were getting more wins. You know, year after year, they were getting win. The win total was increasing. Last year, football would have been a lot better, but a a quarterback injury derailed our whole season. And Eric Harper saw something about Marcus Arroyo and said, that guy doesn't have it and i trust eric harker to look at kevin kruger this year and say and decide i should say decide whether he has it or not i think i think harker will make the right decision i have faith in him after football especially
1: yeah i agree i agree good, good thing good thing the football team's good i'm, I'm very thankful for that <laughs> my
0: i've been praying for something uh speaking of football uh we are just about going to get out of here but um, I did want to briefly, just for a minute or two before we leave, uh, go up UNLV's, uh, UNLV's matchup against San Jose State this weekend. Uh, San Jose is coming on a five-game winning streak. Uh, their quarterback, Shaven Cordero, is very, very, very talented. They run the ball well. The Rebels have basically already clinched a spot in the non-West title game and are going to host it. However, I don't think losing this game would be a very good thing either because the community seems to have a lot of energy coming into it. Uh, I'll obviously do a, a big pod, uh, podcast after the game to kind of go over what happened. But Kevin, what are you seeing going into this last, last football game of the regular season?
1: It, it's kind of tricky to see just how good um, San Jose State is because they are on a five-game win streak. But you look at who they've played, and it's really not much to brag about. I mean, New Mexico, they beat Utah State, which, you know, they've done okay. Hawaii, no. Fresno State was a good win. San Diego State hasn't done anything this year. Um, And they've lost against good teams. They lost to Boise State. They lost to Air Force. And then, of course, in the beginning of the year, they lost to a couple Pac-12 teams. But, um, you know, their offense is clicking. Like you said, Cordero's in great quarterback i mean 17 touchdowns four interceptions they've got good uh running backs they got good receivers and if they've got momentum um i think it'll just come down to whether unlv can stick to their game uh you know the second half against air force unlv got back into their game they took care of the ball and they were able to get a comeback victory against uh air force and i think the same thing can can happen this week if they just take care of the ball and they do you know what they've been doing all year. I think they'll be fine.
0: Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. Obviously, you know, we could be wrong. Uh, the San Jose State team has a lot of talent and they're also on a roll, but so are we. We just won the biggest game in the history of the program. And I think our roster is better. I like our quarterback better. I mean, even though Shaden Cordero is obviously to be respected, I think we have the best offensive player in the conference in Ricky White. Um I and, and we're undefeated at home this year. Allegiant Stadium has been a house of horrors for teams coming in trying to win. And so I do predict a actual pretty com- a comfortable Rebels win at about 38-28. That's that's gonna be my posted prediction. How do you see this one shaking out, Kevin?
1: I'd say about 3121. I, I think the rebels have to score over 30 points. And uh, yeah. The offense needs to be on the field consistently. I I think they need to control the time of possession to give the defense breaks. If the offense can roll, I think we'll be fine.
0: Yeah, I I agree. Um, I do expect UNLV to win this game. However, regardless of whether they do, UNLV is likely going to be facing, in my view, Boise State at Allegiant Stadium, which will be a blast to go to. I'm very excited to, to go to that game. Uh, but anyway, it's good times for UNLV football. It's good times for Barry Odom. Uh, I know that there's going to be lots of talk about changing coaches, but let's just enjoy the ride right now. And yeah. So I want to thank Kevin for coming on the show and we'll have you back on very
1: soon. Thanks again for having me. Yeah. Talk to you soon. Bye.
0: Well, Rebel fans, I want to thank you all for jumping on today and listening to, uh, our ramblings, you know, We love this university, we love this sport, we love this city, and uh, we want what's best for the program, uh, basketball and football, going forward in the future. Um, So I want to thank Kevin again for jumping on the podcast with me. It's nice to have somebody to bounce things off of. I want to thank you all for listening, and most importantly, I want to say have a good Thanksgiving, have a good holiday season, have a good Christmas, uh, spend lots of time with the people you love, and let's run.